0: Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
1: Disruption is par for the course, and during COVID, there isn't an industry that didn't get affected. How do you pivot when your business has to close its doors? Our guest today had not one, but several business ventures that were hit hard by this global phenomenon. Vincenzo Guzzo is the president and CEO of Cinemas Guzzo, a regional chain of theaters in Quebec and Montreal. He's not only the owner of multiple cinemas, his diverse portfolio of ventures includes a streaming platform in development, restaurants, a construction company, and an e-commerce food platform and his own personal brand. Vincenzo Guzzo is known as Mr. Sunshine and is one of the dragons in the Canadian version of Shark Tank Dragon's Den. Guest hosting this episode of All Business is the C-Suite Network Chief Community Officer, Trisha Benn. How
2: are you? I am so great. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I'm bringing out my Italian hand uh, hand signs. I'm sure our executive producer is getting anxious already about that. But I have to start where I have to start. Dragon's Den is our uh, equivalent of the Shark Tank, and you are Mr. Sunshine. So how did you get that nickname?
3: Look, I'm an only child, so I always was very sociable and I was very accommodating. And then people started realizing that I was sociable and accommodating until you had a conflict with me. And then it became all out darkness you know, from my side. So a lot of people said, you know, it's like that duality of the sun, right? On the one hand, you want the sun, you need the sun, you need that vitamin D in your life. But then if you get exposed to it too much, or if you, you know, sort of abuse of it too much, then you're going to get a sunburn and that hurts. So that's where the whole Mr. Sunshine came from. And it's stuck from, you know, I guess I was some somewhere in grade 10 or grade 11 at school. And, and somebody said, you know, you like the sun. You come in, you're in a good mood. Everybody's great. And then the minute somebody takes you off, you're like cloudy Monday or something. So that's where that story comes from.
2: There's more to talk about that in terms of intensity and everything you've managed to do. You, your dad started Cinemas Guzzo, came from Italy, wanting to create that better life for his family. And you turned that small little theater business into the Cinemas Guzzo of today it's the third largest movie operator in Canada 141 screens in in 10 locations i don't know if it's more than that now as well but tell us about what that was like for you how you managed to scale that small family business into what you have now
3: well we scaled it together right so i mean i'm a, like i said many times i'm an only child and my goal was really you know to be a lawyer i wanted to be a litigator so i like to say i wanted to be harvey specter before harvey specter from suits even existed right the relationship issues, the attachment issues, the, the abandonment issues, whatever it was. And, and then basically before I left and went to be a litigator, my dad convinced me, you know, to give the family business a year. And then I realized that working with the family business, what happened is I was there was way more litigation that concerned us that was beneficial to us instead of a third-party client. Then I actually got hooked on the business of the litigation within the movie industry. And so since 1998, we built this company together. And then, you know, gradually, you know, my father went towards uh, semi-retirement and I went towards uh, uh, being full-time running the movie industry. He then expanded and and, and we went into the real estate and construction business, which, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing led to another. In other words, we didn't only build the build, we built to build our theaters because we felt that the. 20, 25% markup could be actually savings for us instead of just paying somebody else to build for us. So, you know, together we built it and then eventually, you know, I guess age took its toll and, and, and dad became semi-retired.
2: Well, and that's an interesting time for different projects. I'm curious because I know you have five children. Are they already in the businesses or are they carrying the, that uh, legacy forward? So my oldest is 24
3: and he took a year off. So he graduated out of business school from St. Lawrence University and now wants to go to law school. I hooked him up in the in the construction business, but I, I made sure that he was a uh, a worker on, on one of the sites where we were building theater. And the reason for it, because I wanted to make sure he went back to law school. I, I didn't want to make it easy. I didn't want to give him an executive's job. But ultimately, yeah, he, he's already started in the business. The second one has already expressed interest on the real estate side I and, mean, you know, more of a, not necessarily construction, but more the real estate side. And then, you know, the other ones are younger. I have a 16 year old, a 13 year old and my daughter's 11. So she's already seeing herself in the role of CEO and boss of the whole family. She thinks she's the one, who, she's the only one who can manage everybody. So I, I have no problem giving her the reins when she's ready. <laughs>
2: That's exciting to see as our children start to grow into their skill sets, their propensities and get a passion for whatever they want to be doing. Now, you mentioned a couple of the other businesses, and I know you're also in restaurants and digital platforms. How did that growth and scaling into other tangential and completely what, what appears to be completely different areas of businesses unfold for you?
3: As much as they're different, they're actually very complementary. I mean, if you look at a movie theater, wherever there's a movie theater, there's always a series of restaurants that come by, a series of other entertainment sector, you know, activities that come by. And that's why, for example, we incorporated inside our theaters the whole arcade space, the whole bumper car space, full-fledged carousels, et cetera, et cetera, our merry-go-rounds, et cetera. And, you know, every year we try and see what else can we put. I mean, if I could put a full-fledged roller coaster, I would. When it came to the restaurant business, it's one of those businesses that I had my my reserves about, just because I remember speaking with Jim and I remember hearing the sacrifices that many restaurant owners have to go through. And and God knows this pandemic has, has tested even the will of the toughest of them. But ultimately what I understood is with discussions with friends in the Italian community, I realized that in the food sector, there was real potential, right? So, you know, everybody talks to you about the retail food business as being a very small margin business and there's not a lot of money to make, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the top 10 wealthiest families in, in Canada, you realize five of them come from the food sector. So I'm saying to myself, there's gotta be something I'm not understanding on these, there's no money to make. And I think what, you know, what I hadn't understood is there's no money to make on a per transaction basis. But when you multiply that by 100 million transactions, there's a lot of money to make. And so we went into the restaurant business to further do two things. A, make it a complementary business to the movie theater business. So, you know, these VIP concept theaters that are opening up in the U.S. where you go to a restaurant and then happen to be in a movie theater. We didn't really like that, but we didn't mind the idea of having a restaurant. And right next door is our movie theater or vice versa. So Mm -hmm. that's where that came from. But then we also thought about using it as a brand and making sure that we can flip and evolve sort of a retail business out of it. So what we're going to be doing is bringing in frozen pizza into Costco's. We're going to be bringing in what I call cheesecake cone uh, desserts that are served in our restaurants right now. And the goal is to eventually open up one restaurant per theater location and then franchise the rest. So, I mean, you know, after having spent three years next to Jim, God knows I learned something about franchising and I intend to use every minute I spend with Jim. And so, you know, as much as it appears like a total left or, or right shift or, or whatever, it isn't. I mean, the restaurant business is very complementary to the movie business. What is totally different from the movie business is the retail food products, right? So the Mr. Right. Sunshine popcorn, the Mr. Sunshine chocolates, the Julietta you know, pizza, you know, the spritzers that are going to be coming out that are being done with Manjeet's uh, brewery. That, I guess, is is the natural evolution of creating a brand, which it would be foolish of us not to use it. I mean, if, if my cufflings have my brand, why wouldn't my, you know, drinks be sold in Costco's, in Loblaws, uh, et cetera? C-Suite
0: Radio.
2: Absolutely. I want to come back to that because that is incredibly powerful. And you start to think of all kinds of interesting leaders in the different spaces. And now you're connecting them together like Cake Boss. Uh, Last month, we spoke with Steven Schusler, who was the founder of uh, Rainforest Cafe, the T-Rex Experience Boathouse at Disney. It really interesting pieces of what you're saying that certainly you're bringing all together. But one thing that's fascinating about the spaces that you live in is they were all affected by the pandemic. Of course, what wasn't? but differently so i'm really curious the experience that you saw through the cinemas you know i know in my area i just went back to the cinema for the first time since before covid and now it's this incredible experience where i got to lay back basically a full lounge and thoroughly enjoy the quiet <laughs> and no phones ringing etc so i'm curious how did the pandemic affect the different businesses and how did you reroute to take advantage of those uh, disruptions in the market?
3: I've been very vocal during these two years of pandemic towards the, what I would call lack of uh, of uh, appropriate decisions by our government. So, So I'm just going to correct you and say the pandemic did not affect my business. It's the ignorant decisions of our politicians that did. And going from there, you'll understand how difficult it was to try and figure out what to do. You know, every area of Canada reacted differently towards restaurants or towards movie theaters. I can speak for Quebec because that's where my theaters are. I mean, you know, movie theaters were closed right off the bat in March. And I was very vocal saying it doesn't make sense. You're going to create a negative impact on mental health and you're going to lose the teenagers. It took three days for a premier to go out publicly and say, hey, parents, you guys are the boss. You got to tell your, you know, your kids to stay at home, isolated, alone and not invite their friends over. And I giggled and I said, What did I tell you? I told you you were going to lose control of, of teenagers, right? When theaters were reopened, you know, I, I think the biggest problem we had to face was our fixed costs, which I would tell you that 90% of our landlords and you know the properties I own. I'm I'm an amazing landlord to myself, but we're talking about the third-party landlords. I would tell you nine out of 10 of those landlords were amazing uh, landlords. There's one landlord in particular that Two years of pandemic, and I can guarantee you, I will never do business again. I mean, I don't care where that person has a piece of real estate. It could be the best location in the world. I'm not building a theater there. I think he's a horrible person. I think they're horrible in managing the empathy that had to be given towards restaurateurs and towards businesses that were forced to be closed. The biggest problem we had is even once we were open. So on the one hand, you're being told movie theaters will open, but then you're being told all kinds of things that that are making you fearful to go. Right. And so people need to understand that in the movie business, it's not only open up and people come, people go to the movies to watch a movie. As long as the U S was half shut down. Once you have California and LA shut down, that's 20% of the business that's not coming in. U S movies will not be released in North America. So now you have a problem because now you can open in July, 2020, but you've got no movies to show the first Decent movie came out sometime at the end of August, early September, and then 30 days later, we were closed again because of the perception that movie theaters were a dangerous place. Now, you have to remember that movie theaters probably have the best ventilation system of any of the businesses that you'll go into. In fact, Public Health in Quebec said that, you know, ventilation systems in movie theaters were better than in their own hospitals, which is a little sad to say, but it is the fact. And so we've had to pivot. Now, the pivoting that we've had to do, we were lucky enough to have, I would say, enough reserves to be able to, to have a cash flow burn. But what we really did is we actually took all of these projects that were taking a really long time. Like For example, you know, we had been talking about launching our own brand of popcorn for over 24 months. All of a sudden, mysteriously, it looked like we launched the popcorn line right in the middle of Popcorn Gate. You know, which for those of you who don't know what popcorn gate is, is our premier said you can open movie theaters. And then 30 minutes later said, oh, but sorry, no popcorn. I said, what is this joke? Who goes to the movies without popcorn? Right. They created such a fuss that, I mean, all over Europe, they were talking about this, you know, this crazy premier who was trying to forbid popcorn in movie theaters. Why would you go to movies? What I think a lot of politicians didn't understand back then is that as a businessman, you have to work with the public's perception. And as much as you want to open my theaters up, if you're telling people you can go to the movies because it's safe, but if you take off your mask to eat a popcorn, then it becomes unsafe. Most people will just say, well, forget it. I'm just not going to go because it's really not not safe, right? So what we did is we took that that crucial time where, in all intents and purposes, I was available 24 hours a day for non-movie theater-related business, and, and we expanded on that. I mean, in the middle of the... Of COVID, we bought a shopping mall where we were a tenant in, and now we're developing on a on a million square feet of land that we have a huge industrial uh development. So that you know, I, I'm happy to hear that governments are are now gonna help bring back production of of stuff back to Canada instead of leaving everything internationally and, and putting us at risk for blockades or 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 boycotts from international countries, right? So it, it was really a question of. It's not one day you wake up you got a pandemic it closes your businesses oh I'm going to get into the uh, online business we had already developed that we knew and so what we did is the pivoting we did is we we pivoted our time so whatever time mm-hmm. I was dedicating to the movie business we just pivoted that to the construction business to the real estate business we, you know we, fit, we we didn't abandon the movie business during the whole covid because we actually had a movie theater under construction which was supposed to open in April 2020, couldn't open, and then and then we stalled the opening of it. And, and oddly enough, we got, you know, a bit of public flack as if, oh, you guys really gonna open this theater. It's like, guys, let's be honest here. I'm not gonna open a theater to get it shut down, right? And yeah. oddly enough, that theater opened on the 17th of December, 2021. And trust me, I made the calls before I did that date, you know, before I chose that date. And I was guaranteed the movie theaters weren't reclosing. And guess what? Three days later, our premier closed down theaters again. So I'd open a theater for three days and then he shut me down again. Right. So so that uncertainty has truly marked the way we're going to be doing business in the future. I think we're pushing a lot harder on the retail space. We're pushing Costco, Loblaws to get our foodstuffs out there. We suspect that out of covid, we're going to end up with a situation where. The retail food business will probably be 50% of our overall business revenue instead of just, you know, let's say 75% coming from the movie business as we expand into these other businesses.
2: So, Vincenzo, I have to ask you, you're Mr. Sunshine. So, what are the smartest and the stupidest things that you think people have done through COVID? Now, I'll say business leaders because we already got your perspective on politicians. On the politicians, right. right. <laughs> I, look,
3: I would tell you that. There is no stupid decisions that were done during the pandemic by business people. I think everybody reacted how best they thought the biggest mistake I've done was to believe this thing was going to last two months. I really thought, you know, and in fact, I got involved with our, with our local, you know, a uh, provincial government to try and, and and help them guide them with the mental health issues and, and, and how, you know, from pandemic to endemic, you've got to remember that the biggest problem that, that we've, had to face is that we determined what to do with businesses based on bed occupancies. And so I never thought, I mean, you got to remember every December, January, February beds in hospitals are overrun in Quebec. So I never thought that would be the criteria to open or close businesses or, or curfews or whatever. Right. So my decision was, okay, I'm going to take a two month vacation here. You know, we're going to be closed for April, May, May, By Victoria Day, May 21st, they'll be back in business and it'll be great because, you know, normally those two months are usually the worst months of the year. So great way of not, you know, burning more cash than we need to. But in reality, I just like I said, and every time I have a banker who's become a very good friend of mine who said to me, I'm going to ask you what you think is going to happen next. And I says, why? Because I know that whatever you tell me is not going to happen because these guys are going to do totally the opposite of what you're saying. Your common sense. They're going to do totally the opposite. So I would tell you, most businessmen predicted that it was going to last three months, four months. We never thought, you know, every decision we took, you know, even for example, I, I made representations of the federal government saying you shouldn't have given the Serbs directly to people. You should have gone through the employers. We would have paid them 100 percent. Had you even if they would have covered 100 percent of their salaries through us. We would have kept a link with our employees. You know, the biggest problem we have today, even today, two years later, all my theaters are reopened. I cannot open up for the same business hours as I did pre-pandemic because I don't have enough staff and I can't wear out my staff. And most people, there's still a lot of people searching their new, what's the new challenges of tomorrow? What do I really want life to mean for me? And, And, you know, I don't think any of us have really evaluated the severity of the mental health impact that this has had on people. The other mistake I did is because I thought this was going to last two months, I, I didn't really think getting into the medical business, you know, of supplies and was really worth my time. Well, I was mm-hmm. I wrong there. I mean, God knows I lost a lot of money. Now I'm going into that space, but those are the, you know, those are the mistakes you make.
0: C-Suite Radio.
2: You've been investing in others' businesses and obviously Dragon's Den is one personification of that, but your investment strategy in other businesses, how has this affected that strategy that you're using as you invest in others? You know, now, you know, now I think I,
3: I ask myself a few more questions, you know, for example, and I'll give you a good example of a missed opportunity. I had somebody come to see me, a friend of my wife and say, you know, I want to get into the COVID testing business where people can, you know, rapid testing and so forth and so forth. And I said, you're kidding me, right? Like, seriously? Like, you really think that's a business? Let me tell you, that business is a million dollar a month profit business. And they haven't expanded outside of the Montreal, greater Montreal area, right? So I'm sitting there and saying, wow, did I not see that one, right? And so now, for sure, I ask more questions, right? But for example, during this break, let's call it a break, it's allowed me to further expand into non-conventional business. For example, we're now going to launch a beauty aesthetics clinics uh, across Montreal. Greater Montreal we will be heading to Toronto soon enough and so forth. You know, we're in the food space now, but also non-cinema or Mr. Sunshine related, but more, for example, Good Pantry, which is an icing business, which I didn't do the deal on Dragon's Den, but I did do the deal after Dragon's Den with that trio of sisters, we relook and we revisit because of the experience we've had through the pandemic. We say, you know what? We said no once. Let's look at this again. Because the last time we said no, we left a million dollars on the table every month. So let's look at it again. And, And I think it's the proof that no matter how right you think you are, you are wrong sometimes. What I think is very important is when you are wrong, learn from the mistake. So that you don't repeat those mistakes. Right. That's the only thing you can do. I mean, a mistake is nothing else but like going to university and learning something. As long as you've paid the mistake and you have learned something from it, that means the mistakes paid off in, in some form or another.
2: You always speak to authenticity being critical and you show up that way. That is without doubt truth. And creativity and solving problems and so on. And I'd love for you just to share a little bit more about that. That's such an authentic space for us in C-Suite where we say, listen, let's take off the armor. Let's have those real conversations. Not a one of us has any claim on perfection of any kind, but we can learn quickly together. And I'd love to just have you delve into that a little bit more in terms of how you've built not only all of these businesses, but also your personal brand which is pretty, you know, it's large. Your personal brand is a large personal brand and it brings a lot of intensity and excitement with it. So I'd love to hear more about that. I grew
3: up that way. I mean, I, I, I grew up in a family where I, I didn't necessarily have to fit in because I was an only child, right? So I, I fit in only with myself, I guess. right? So So I could be honest. I guess, you know, when you're talking to yourself, you're allowed to be honest because you're not sharing any vulnerability to anybody. But ultimately, look, I, I think it's very important. People need to realize that I said very early on in my in my public career, I I, I would say I would say it was probably in my early 30s. I was invited to a panel of discussion and there were the president of um, Pratt and & Whitney and there was the president of Home Depot or, or uh, Renault Depot. And, you know, really big guys that I, you know, I sort of said, I don't know why I'm here. I just own a few theaters. In my mind, I really hadn't done anything right. So and I sat there and I, and I listened to them and and I, and I listened to everybody talk about rules and and there's, you know, and there's, there's traditions and there's ways of doing things and so forth and so forth. And then it was my turn. And I said, you know, guys, I'm, I'm not liking what I'm hearing. And so, you know, all of these high powered execs looked at me a little crooked and I said, what rule book who's who made up a rule book from what I understand, the rules are only blocking my, Ability to access success or access wealth or or et cetera. There is no rules. You know, it's all about redefining, you know, and I I think everybody on Dragon's Den has proved that there is no such thing as the rules. I mean, Manjit has proven that you can take an old brewery business from Molson who Mm -hmm. didn't think it was worth keeping and make millions off it, hundreds of millions. Michelle has proven that, hey, you can have an online you know, banking business with no brick and mortars and still be worth $2 billion, right? Wes's, I mean, Wes's successes are just, I can't even start listing them, right? And, and, and everybody's gone against the grind. And so for me, sometimes I sit there and I tell people, look, if you're expecting a, um, a PDF presentation, you know, with these pie charts on how to make money, it doesn't work that way. There is no secret to success, I mean, the secret is you work hard, you put your heart and soul into it. And you know what? Some people call it blood, you know, blood equity. Some people call it sweat equity. The truth of the matter is you've got to learn how to suffer, you know, and, and, and manage your anxieties. You know, I, I like to tell people, look, I'm on a board of a school and, and, and every once in a while I hear the board say, you know, we want more discipline. We want more discipline. And I, one day I got upset and I said, guys, you got to stop using the word discipline. Like Justin Trudeau uses democracy as a word, like define it to me. What is democracy? What is, you know, what is a uh, discipline that you want? It's the same thing with resilience. Resilience is living with anxieties day in and day out. I mean, my wife every once in a while, tells me, what did you do? You weren't in bed tonight. Yeah, well, I couldn't sleep because of the anxiety. So I went to work. So I actually... Getting I, stuff done. That's <laughs> right. To get stuff done. And, and the truth yeah. of the matter is that that is the difference between I would tell you somebody who wants to succeed and somebody who doesn't just get it done. You you know, Michelle said once on dragons and it it was actually funny because she said, if you're waiting for the plan to be perfect, you're never doing it because the plan's never perfect. And that's where ultimately the biggest secret of success is, is that there's a plan. The plan is, this is how I'm going to start. Then every single day that plan's got to be modified. It's got to change because it's got to adapt. And that's why, you know, I always like to say successful businessmen, successful business people could be way better politicians than the ones we have It's because we've learned to adapt. We've learned to the French expression is for someone, you know, you got to, you got to be able to skate around all of the obstacles that you have. And, and it's very important, you know, through resilience. And, and I'm telling you that I expect this year's Dragon's Den season 17 auditions you know, going on now, but I expect the season to be extraordinary because anybody who's survived through two years of pandemic and still wants to be an entrepreneur has got guts. And, and that's the kind of people you need. You need people that's who say fantastic. what rules. Yes.
2: You know what I, mean? I love that definition. And what rules or what excuses are you using that's to be right. defeated? That's right. I mean, <laughs> so, I always like
3: to say, you know, when I meet people in an industry, I would say, what are the rules of the game? And they say, Oh, okay. So, so they tell me the rules. Okay, so I hope you guys all know that now I'm here. All those are are open for discussion and are open to be changed because I'm not going to respect any of those rules because all they are is they're barriers to entry, right? When somebody says you can't go directly to Loblaws or you can't go directly to Costco, you've got to go through a distributor. You've got to, why? Who says that? What? You're telling why me I, I can't get it? a call in there? I can get the call in. I can go in. I can push, right? I mean, people call Absolutely. me... And, and, and I, I, every once in a while, based on the reach out and, you know, sometimes it's a question of timing. I'm in the mood today to listen to some young, fresh mind. pitch yes. me an idea. And I just pick up the phone and say, OK, let's talk. What do you want to what's your idea? Right. And, and so why not? Why would you have to go through my attorneys, through my team or whatever? When you can try, always try to go the quickest way and break the rules. Breaking the rules is OK. It's the troublemakers who are the. Yes. The, the 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 ones that we always honor in in, in our private schools. I was I look I wasn't supposed to graduate. I wasn't even supposed to be let into the private school I went to, and I was a troublemaker. And today I'm probably one of one of its best ambassadors. But I was a troublemaker, and, and troublemaker just means I, I don't want the status quo because the status quo is keeping me low.
2: You're going to disrupt and create opportunity. I love that you mentioned earlier uh, about your daughter. And I think that for the executive leader women and business owner women that we have on here, that was such a lovely reference. You have sons, but it's your daughter who feels that she has the strength, the capabilities, the propensity to be the CEO and lead forward. I would love for you to share a little more on that, because one of the struggles that we certainly see across the board and is discussed a great deal in the women's executive spaces is the fact that only 2% of VC money goes into women-led businesses. And I'd love to just have a little sneak peek into how you coach your daughter to break those rules or those barriers to lead forward. Oddly enough, my daughter's the youngest. She's
3: had to play elbows, as I like to say, use her elbows to, you know, to have her space, you know, at home. She's also the only one of my kids that I'm a partner with in a, in a business, right? She has a tie dye company and she does her, her drops like Supreme does. And, and, and she, you know, themes all of her stuff and whatever. And her goal initially was to raise funds for charity, you know, for breast cancer and so forth. And so then I had to teach her that, you know, the best way to give back is, you know, charity starts at home, you know, think of yourself first, try and get, you know, your finances in order. You know, she got me to pay the first year's worth of supplies and never gave me back my money, so that's smart. I mean, she was smart enough to say, no, no, I don't have to give you anything back. You paid willfully, there's no, and so forth. You know, I try and explain to her that she's allowed to be whatever she wants. But first and foremost, only because she wants to be in the business world doesn't mean she has to be like a man. And, And I think that's one of the biggest problems. You know, when I had to choose the school she had to go to, You know, I had a number of private schools in the Montreal area. I chose one who vehicled the message that you could be whatever you wanted while still being feminine, while still being a woman. And you didn't have to be a construction worker with dirty nails to prove that as a woman, you could do what a man could do. Right. I always tell my my daughter, you don't have to prove anything to a man. you got to prove only to yourself. Uh, My wife and I disagree sometimes on her standing up because sometimes she stands up first and foremost to her mother. And I always say, you know, Maria, she's got to stand up first to you. If she can stand up to you, she can stand up to any man in the world. Trust me. And and every woman needs to realize that their number one critic and their number one person who pushes them the most is their moms. But they've got to be able to create that independence while keep them close as as counselors. So, you know, I'm, I'm the diplomat. I'm the one who sees them fight and then I go tell my wife and tell her she exaggerated. And then I go tell my daughter, says, you exaggerated too. You know, like, come on, you can't talk to your mom like that. You've got to try and make things. And so she's become way more diplomatic than the boys have. And that's where she feels that she can actually be the, I guess, the moral compass of the company, right? And saying one day when daddy's not there, those four guys are going to want to argue amongst themselves. I'm going to be the one reminding them what daddy used to say, because she's the one who listens the most. She's the one who, you know, it was a very awkward thing because when my daughter was born, everybody thought, oh, here's the revenge, right? You know, Vince had four boys, so he was very macho. He could, you know, it was a one, one-sided world, right? And I said, guys, you're totally wrong. This is the best gift God could give me because now I have somewhere where I can go. You know, there's an old Italian saying that says when you go to your son's house, you're really going to your daughter-in-law's house. And when you go to your son-in-law's house, you're really going to your daughter's house. So my daughter's going to take care of me. So I'm protected, I'm good. So her and I are good. But I think it's very important, you know, if there's a message that I would give any woman, CEO, or any woman out there looking to go into business, is you don't have to be a man. You don't have to pick up the the, the toughness or or the vulgarity or the you know the mannerism that men try to, you know, to use in various negotiations. You can be feminine and you can actually put it back in our place and in a classier way. Right. And that's what I try and teach my, my daughter. I try and teach her that there's two ways to fight back. There's one way you can fight back with the arms and, and we see what's going on right now, you know, in, in Ukraine, or you can fight back with diplomacy, the old British way and sort of, you think you're going to bully me because I'm a woman. I'll get the best of you in, in a different way. Right. And, and my daughter's great at that. So what people like to say is, you know, your daughter's got you wrapped around her little binky. No, it's my daughter's got a different technique. Which works. It really yeah. works. It really gets me to understand things that normally I wouldn't understand. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, that for me, when I look at people like Manjeet, when I look at people like Michelle, I see women, but I see women that are more than equal to men in the business world. I see success stories and I see women who have not compromised who they wanted to be just because they had to fit in, right? You know, too many times, and I, look, I'll give you an example uh, and, and we'll try and close that subject, but I was being interrogated by a woman lawyer one day and she was really being, you know, sort of cocky and annoying and everything. And, and normally I would have just answered back to her or whatever. And then I turned around to the steno and I said, can you turn that off a minute and not record what I'm going to say? And she goes, okay. I said, look, between you and I, you know, the attitude, it's not going to help because I'm just going to snap back at you it doesn't make a difference because the judge already thinks I was going to snap back at you, whether you're a man or a woman. So why don't you just go be classy about it? Ask me the questions you want to ask. Don't be bitchy about it. Just be classy. And ultimately, it took her about. She asked the question. She got the answer she wanted. And it's very important. You know, I say this all the time for a woman to be a boss on a construction site. She doesn't have to know how to drive the big tractor trailer or the big you know, the, the the shovel or whatever. I, I never got I never tried to run one of those shovels. I still run the construction side. And and women right. are forced to believe that for them to be competitive in the business world, they gotta be more like men. On the contrary, I would tell you the most successful CEOs in the movie business are women. They're the ones who've accomplished the most because they went against the grind. They went against the, the, the established rules that, that were confining rules, right? And, and right. so don't lose that ability to not be conformist to male, it, it, you know, if I can call them male imposed rules in the business world.
2: Yeah. I think it's going to change tremendously when you look at any of the newer generations as well. There's some really interesting things happening with our younger people, as maligned as millennials were, there's some really interesting courage that's being shown in various ways uh, with that demographic as well. So in the meantime, I want to say thank you, Vincenzo, for being on all business with us here today.